bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, our guest is Roz Tai. Roz is the Vice President of Talent Learning and Organizational Effectiveness at Thrivent. She's also an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota, teaching a course on global talent management. Welcome, Roz. Hi, Diana. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm super excited to have you as our guest. And our topic today is going to include focusing in on training strategy and making large-scale organizational impact, which you are fabulous at. You have so many great examples. So uh, super excited and really appreciate you making the time to be our guest. Well, I'm delighted. And it's always exciting for all of us in the learning and talent space to exchange ideas for what we've tried and what works. And I'm not not only happy to share what I've learned, but also eager to hear from your listeners uh, from their feedback on what else we could be trying. Fabulous. And I think our paths cross a while back. We were both part of the CLO, the Chief Learning Officer Accelerator Program that's sponsored by CLO Magazine. And I just remember how open you were for learning and sharing, especially at somebody at your level. So I know you are a continuous learner just based on my interaction. And we have several colleagues, friends that as I've been doing this podcast, we're saying, you've got to bring Roz on. So uh, super excited. Well, thank you. Good. So before we get into today's topic, how about if you share a little bit about your background and what brought you to the role that you are today? Thank you for that question, Diana, because I, I have been thinking about that. And um, as you mentioned, for many years, I worked in the learning space. And most recently, in the last few years, I have worked more broadly in the talent space. So as I reflect on what it took for me to be um, prepared for a role like what I have today, I feel extremely grateful for um, any number of factors in my career that kind of led me to this path. First and foremost, as many of my colleagues know, I am a... um, immigrant. I came to the U.S. uh, after finishing my college education in China, and I came to the U.S. with the ambition of getting advanced education to uh, learn more about information access, uh, education, and so on. So in in my 30-plus years in Minnesota, I have had just tremendous advanced education opportunities, as well as uh, the good fortune of having many managers and friends and colleagues who mentored me and supported me. And the third thing I would say is within the state of Minnesota, it, it's it's such a rich area for many different industries um, that I've had the great opportunity to work in multiple functions, multiple uh, industries that really helped me uh, create a very balanced view on what talent work is all about. So if I do a quick inventory about the things that have really helped me in my career, I've done uh, everything from leadership development, performance management, uh, org design, and process reengineering. 
Um, and then I've also had the opportunity to lead very large scale technical training for global workforces and really complex high tech industries, uh, both in terms of, you know, preparing the workforce to be technically more advanced, but also in terms of offering revenue generating client facing uh, education that allows our customers to be effective in implementing large systems. Um, and then along the way, I've had the opportunity to work on learning technology. I've been just really fortunate, you know, that I've had just tremendous work opportunities, as well as just great colleagues and thought leaders to learn from. You know, to be effective as a talent leader, there's no clear single path to get there. I, I do think, uh, as I reflect on people I really admire who do this work, there is a commonality of deep uh, respect for the expertise in the talent space. And then there is a um, equal respect for the importance of business acumen and understanding what it takes to move an organization on a large scale. So I think I've been really fortunate in, in both aspects to be exposed to not only what good looks like, but um, real practical experiences. Yeah. Well, you have such a deep and wide range of experiences. And one of the things, as I mentioned, is you just have this eagerness and this passion to continue to learn and grow. And so tell us just a little bit more about why are you teaching? And, you know, with everything that you're doing and the roles that you have, how do you find the time to do that? <laughs> I love that question because when I'm having to work late nights, I challenge and, and ask myself, why am I signing up to do this? <laughs> but, there, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I know exactly the reason. When you teach a course, especially uh, when you teach a course like uh, talent management, um, and I've been fortunate enough to teach such courses, not only to practitioners in the talent space, but more importantly to our clients. Um, so many who are in my classes are business executives, uh, startup CEOs, and so on, that, that they have a sense of urgency of doing uh, what's right for their organization when it comes to talent. So it keeps you on your toes, so to speak, that at all times I hold myself to this um, requirement to read up on the latest practice to read up on the latest trend reports and watch emerging practices from different companies on a global basis to see you know, who's doing innovative work on talent and do I have an opinion about why that works and in what circumstances would that work and why that might not uh, particularly apply to my own organization. So it keeps me constantly uh, sensing the space that we work in and it forces me to, to continue to learn and it certainly informs my day-to-day -day leadership uh, in leading my talent function. Thank you. And, and as we were just prepping a little bit for this call, our quick conversation, there were so many areas that we could go deeper in because of your expertise. But I really like the one that we landed on is, you know, helping our listeners, especially aspiring learning and HR and talent leaders to think broadly and to be strategic, and then to really think about the impact that you want to make and how to do that in an organization. So one of the things that you shared with me was your three keys to success. Can you explain those to our listeners? Yeah, thank you. 
One of the reasons that I land on three is because I joined Thrivent about six months ago and I've taken on a whole new talent function. So I've literally had to force myself to get clear and concise about what good looks like and align with my executive team as well as my own team. So it's a great opportunity for me to share that learning and I would love to hear feedback from your listeners on how they feel good talent work uh, is all about. So when I think about what enduring effective talent work um, looks like, I go, I I establish my three S's um, that that you and I have talked about. One is, you know, what I consider sound practice. Sound practice to me refers to the fact that in the talent space, and and you and I go back, you know, on a lot of learning work uh, as well. Uh, there's just a lot of fad and there's a lot of uh, noise around different things that people are trying. And it's really important for us as talent practitioners to be really uh, judicious in consuming you know, a lot of the fad information and trendy information and, and look at what's the evidence of uh, effectiveness and making sure that we have evidence-based decision-making, whether it's you know, taking away the ratings in performance management or whether it's about using uh, rotational experiences for career development. How do we know uh, those practices work and under what circumstances they would apply? Uh, so I think it is really important that, that as talent leaders, we bring a sound set of practices to our organization. And to me, sound also uh, applies to the fact that it actually has to work for the organization that we're serving today. So there is a pragmatic view that I bring to this discussion that, you know, I get really nerdy and excited about all of the talent practices. At the same time, I have to look at what's going to work in where the organization is at today. So that's that's the first thing that I work on. And the second piece is I want to make sure that talent practices are experienced as simple uh, by our managers, uh, by our HR partners, and by the executive team and people leaders, by our employees and so on, as all of us uh, become more and more accustomed to very mobile and uh, modern consumer experiences with uh, consumer apps and technology, it's you know in, increasingly important for us to make sure that the talent practices and systems and processes that we put into place are not difficult. You know, we, we need to take out the administrative burden where possible. We need to make sure that the experiences are as frictionless as possible. I work really hard to look at how do we take out the complexity in our talent work I used to study Mark Efron's, you know, one, the one-page talent management. So there's a lot of influence from that perspective around, is this worth, you know, an extra button or an extra field that we make people filling out or an extra waiting that we make people con- deliberate? Does that drive enough value for us to add a complexity for thousands of people? So I'm working really hard to drive to Simple. Simple is not simplistic, right? So it, it has to be profoundly effective, um, but elegant to the user in terms of uh, experience. And then the third piece is really around sustaining the practice. You know, talent practice is not one that you could just institute once and then somehow, you know, move on to the next thing. So in order for talent practices to actually drive real impact, it needs to sustain 
we cannot implement trendy things and that tomorrow or next season or next year we decide, oh, that was worth a try, but you know, we'll change our mind. Talent practices actually have to take time for the organization to really benefit from. So in order for a talent practice to have real value, it needs to be implemented well by our employees, by our people managers, by our HR partners. Um, it needs to be appropriately and strategically sponsored and aligned that among all the things that we could be doing in the talent space. In fact, when I first joined Thrivent, I put together an entire framework around all the practices that people could be doing in the talent space. And then we have to strategically pick the one or two few things that we would strategically sponsor from our executive team on down so that we could drive a sustained and consistent practice in order for the benefit to actually emerge. So I'm working on the three S's of talent practices, getting to sound practices that are simple to the user, that are sustainable by the entire organization. Wow. And if our listeners don't take anything else away, taking those three S's and applying them to what they're doing or as they put together their plan would be fabulous advice. And as I get a chance to interact with a lot of different learning leaders, I think it is really challenging at times not to be distracted by all of the new shiny things that come out. And I think your pragmatic approach to making sure, you know, that you really are using the sound practices, because sometimes I think it's the learning practitioners that we can get bored and we want to try things. It's not really our learners. And if we stay, you know, learner centered and keep it simple for them, the studies are showing that learners want it to be easy. Everything else is easy. You know, I just got a new computer and I think there was a three by five card in there in regards to setup. Everything else was just automatic and if we can make Mm -hmm. learning easy like you said Mm -hmm. sound practices simple easy and make it sustainable we would be doing huge things instead of doing more do less better is what I kind of see out there Mm -hmm. exactly Right. Well, one of the things that stood out uh, to me based on our conversation was you were not a big fan of doing the more traditional ways of maybe training or learning, such as, you know, using PowerPoints to drive learning or lecturing. Can you give us a little bit more in regards to your perspective on that? Yeah. So first of all, I'll be clear. I am not opposed to PowerPoint lectures and you know workshops and virtual workshops as we are today now. So inherently, there's nothing wrong with these tools. Um, I think the challenge that we face today is that this inconvenient problem called the knowing doing gap, and where we have you know highly motivated professionals who have a specific need for well-structured, well-organized information. A, a well-structured PowerPoint or a lecture is fantastic and, you know, sufficient and satisfying. So I, I, I myself, I'm a PowerPoint warrior many days, so it's not like I, I, I have an objection to those tools. However, many of us in the, in the learning space and in the talent space, we know the nature of the work that we do oftentimes 
is about striving for change. You know, we we want to strive for helping our employees be more digitally uh, innovative or helping our leaders be more empowering or meaning oriented in in their day-to-day work with their teams. So when we uh, aspire to change in people, um, we have to acknowledge that human nature gets in the way of simply pushing information at them and hoping somehow that by providing information, change will happen. Uh, Many of us know how to eat less and move more, but many of us don't succeed, right? And why is that? And many of us know how to delegate and how to empower and the importance of making every team member feel included, invited to fully contribute. But then our day-to-day behaviors don't necessarily reflect that knowledge. And why is that? And that's the fundamental reason when I think about driving sound practice that has real impact, I will often bring my team back to what does it take for people to truly internalize the change and make that show up um, in their day-to-day work? In looking at how we traditionally do learning design, um, even today, I, I have team members who have the title of learning experience designers. It's very difficult to overcome our own heritage of arranging perfectly logical information and spoon feeding it to our target audience because we've done the hard work of breaking down the information and making it as interactive as possible, as you know, visually appealing as possible and as bite-sized as possible. And then we are appalled that the change doesn't happen. I, I think this is where, you know, as learning practitioners, as talent practitioners, there is so much science e- emerging that we can learn from. You think about all that neuroscience has been teaching us around what it takes for people to generate insight on their own versus being fed information. Uh, If you think about the body of work around what habits mean for our day-to-day life, you know, I recently saw that somebody said, you know, over 45% of our day is unconscious. You know, we're just, we're on autopilot and our brain is hardwired to strive for efficiency. So we repeatedly do something enough that it becomes a a subconscious uh, habit and it's very difficult to change. So there's a lot of respect right now in our space for what it takes for whether it's leaders or, you know, our our employees, how to stop our autopilot routines and and, uh, swap in a new habit. It's incredibly strenuous work. And in presenting people information, however brilliantly put together, is not sufficient. So, Roz, I know that you're a big supporter of experiential learning. Can you share a little bit more with our listeners on, on why you're such a big supporter? Yeah, I think, you know, all of us aspire to create powerful experiences that drive real insight and real change. I'm not unique in that belief. However, I'm happy to share a couple of just small examples of where I've seen the power of that approach just work magic and makes learning that much more enduring. So for example, if we wanted to have managers learn a uh, a new framework for how to keep their employees motivated, 
as we know, oftentimes we get lectures or, or insights and videos about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. From there, we derive at, you know, what might motivate my people, and then what would I do with that, right? So what we did with my team, and I'll preface it by saying my global colleagues in my previous company have been just amazing at helping me arrive at this kind of an approach that and witness the power of it, is um, we skipped that whole lecture. We skipped all the pre-reads. We instead gave the, the participants a, a pre-work, what we call real work, for them to ask every single member of their team a simple question. You know, in the workplace, there are often these kinds of motivators that really drives people to higher level of engagement. That list could include, you know, flexibility, autonomy, pay, pride, and, you know, knowing that I make a difference and so on. So we kind of, you know, got our managers to come up with a list. And then we invited every participant to interview their own team members and say, help me understand what's the most powerful driver for you. And, you know, predictably, they came back when, you know, when we reconvened and they said, oh, my gosh, they're, they're all driven by different drivers. And um, instead of us lecturing them, they, they came to that conclusion on their own. And within that moment of insight, they were able to say, within my scope of control, you know, rather than saying, well, I, if only the company would let me, you know, give everybody a lot of bonus and all of this, uh, we get the participants to say, within my scope of control, how can I provide more flexibility to, to Robert? And how can I provide more opportunities for learning and solving real real problems to, you know, Rebecca. So it kind of gives managers a real life work plan that they can implement uh, for their own team while they're quote unquote in a learning scenario. We've done this with managers on any number of things. Through creating these real work experiences, we make it possible for managers to realize that their goals need to align with their customers' needs and with their um, managers' higher level goals, and it creates a sense of clarity for them to realize, wait a minute, we've been working on these five things, and I never realized that customer needs have changed, and I need to realign my goals for my own team. Over and over, we're watching this kind of an approach where it's experiential, it's real work, and it's really actionable insights that leaders are taking from this quote-unquote training experience that they could immediately implement. The last example I would share just most recently, we kind of shifted our performance management rating system. And instead of, you know, teaching the managers, here's how you do this and here's how you deliberate the rating criteria, we interviewed a, a wide sample of people leaders and ask them what would be challenging. What are the gray that we need to know about? And we created those scenarios so that our legal team, our HRBP team, and our talent team can collectively offer guiding principles. So managers could literally look at, oh my gosh, I have some situations just like this. So in that scenario, how would I deliberate this performance rating and work on situations that are most relevant to themselves? So we uh, went through a, a training experience that managers not only 
eagerly participated. Uh, they literally uh, gave us feedback that they wish they had stayed in there longer because they wanted to practice um, the situations that are very relevant to their team. So over and over, we see by giving people real life experiences, and the same applies to other types of skills, you know, our participants can not only derive at the insights, you know, very quickly on their own, uh, but they own that. They own that insight and they own the skill practice because it's immediately applicable to their own situation. I love how you've connected the learning to actual um, situations and and impact on the job and, and bringing in those bosses and having the collaboration and having mm-hmm. people talk to their clients about what's important and what can my team do differently. I love that connection. And I think sometimes as learning professionals, we don't always do those extra things that really help with impact and really help with the collaboration and people seeing the value that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to go back to my earlier point about helping people not only arrive at the insights that they need, but also have the ongoing support to sustain a new habit. One of the things that we're very conscious about is building what we would consider a 360 degree kind of a surround to make sure that if it's a new skill or a new commitment, then you know we want our participants to go back and tell their employees Dear team, you know, this is what I'm working on. I am human too, and I'm trying to become a better leader, and this is the skill I'm working on, and I want your help. And then they, we would have them go back with their leaders to say, Here, here's the insight that I'm taking away from my learning experience. Here's my commitment, and I want your help to sustain this new behavior. And then among their peers, we're forming practice circles and practice partners so that um, you know, across the organization, they have like-minded leaders who can hold each other accountable. At a recent um, Thrivent Leadership Summit, we invited our leaders to reflect on what is the one thing you're gonna do to demonstrate a growth-oriented mindset with your team, because we're in the middle of a very significant transformation journey and we need our leaders to demonstrate to the team that it's okay, we don't have all the right answers, but it's important for us to learn and lean in to experiment and try things and take a learning mindset that we could try and and see how we can grow together. So we literally asked everyone to not only write a personal commitment of day to day, this is what that behavior looks like. We asked them to share that with their employees. We asked them to share that with their leaders. And then we asked them to have a peer who would co-sign their commitment. You know, when we were finishing that exercise, I was standing next to our CEO and she literally said, here, Roz, you can sign my commitment, I'll sign yours. <laughs> so we literally create this fabric of mutual commitment in a 360 degree view so that we all have a better chance to come through on our well-intended commitments. That is so awesome and so impactful. I love, love that approach. So kind of thinking back to one of the topics we we set up, and, and you've already given us some insights, but I know our talent champions 
really want their efforts to be impactful and sustainable, like you said, your third S. So what does it take to drive large-scale collaboration and really make it stick? Yeah, I, I think collaboration is the essential ingredient because as you and I know, uh, talent work is never solo work, especially those of us who lead a, a COE kind of a, a talent function. Everything we work on is translated through people leaders, is translated through our HR business partners, is translated through day-to-day employee actions and employee groups. It's never a, an effective idea that, you know, I, I went and talked to the best thought leaders and here's the best thing and, you know, everybody please go do what I tell you to do. It just doesn't work that way. Um, And and many of us, you know, I I, I think about all my peers out there. um, Many of us have the best intentions of driving collaboration and deep collaboration. Um, But sometimes it, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it doesn't always work out and it doesn't always stick to your point. Um, I reflect on all the, large collaboration efforts that I've worked on and a couple of things that I'm happy to share that one um, talent work has to be properly aligned with the highest priorities of the organization. So when we say it needs to be strategically sponsored and strategically aligned, it literally translates to what's the highest objective for the organization, for our CEO, for our executive team, and we have to emphasize the talent work that supports those initiatives specifically, because um, otherwise the organization is in the midst of so many competing priorities that we simply don't get mind share to actually drive through the discipline. So that collaboration with the executive team is an essential uh, ingredient to real collaboration. And then, so that means, you know, it's not always comfortable because sometimes we want to tell the organization, you really need to do this. So I would often tell my teammates that it's not our agenda, it has to be the company's agenda. So many times I would actually have my CEO or my business leader sponsor a talent initiative simply because it's got to be that high level of a requirement. The second ingredient is there has to be a shared ownership. Um, In order for other teams, whether it's your IT organization or supply chain or um, project management office or marketing and so on, um, there there has to be a shared stake in the outcome. So there has to be a shared vision about why we're doing this work and how does that advance the objectives of all of these stakeholders. And as long as it impacts, accelerates, or it it requires their work from all of these teams, it's really important that all of these teams have their trusted voice on this project. And there's a collective ownership of the success, the scope, the outcome, and the execution of this project. And then the, the third thing I would offer is that as a project leader, it's imperative that we work to create the psychological safety for divergent opinions to come in. And we have to exercise the patience and the um, courage to make space for divergent opinions to percolate in order for the, the most practical and the most 
brilliant ideas to come through because that takes time. And as much as we think we bring the expertise to the table and we want to drive it forward, if you allow, so I've lived through this over and over, that if you allow 30 more seconds for those strange, you know, different ideas to kind of percolate, some amazing insights happen. And it's happened to me over and over. So I know it's messy. I know it takes longer time. Um, but the rewards of having all those voices come through um, are unbelievable. So one of my colleagues used to share this, you know, African proverb with, with us, and we use it forever, which is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And go far by going together takes time. You know, it's messy, um, but it's important, absolutely important. Oh. I love how you started as anything you're going to do as a talent leader, you got to be thinking of the company agenda because gone are the days that, you know, money is allocated based on what an individual function wants to do. I don't see that happening as much, but you know, if it's Mm -hmm. something that's going to be impactful across the organization and you can get top leadership sponsorship, involvement, um, shared ownership. I don't think we do enough of that. Shared ownership across different functions ensures that things are going to get funded, ensures that they'll be implemented, uh, you know, at a higher level and that we can, you know, celebrate in the success of that too. And then I love how you ended with, you still have to keep this culture environment open that new ideas or uh, diverse ideas still can bubble up. We can't be so scripted and buttoned up that we can't stop and say, is there a better way? And, and I love that, you know, so we've got to be agile and make sure that we're open for that creativity because we want to go further together because we have to. So I <laughs> so love true. that. Love that. Yes. So this has just been a wealth of information. Um, and I want to be cognizant of your time as well, is maybe just share with us, um, is there one person who has had the greatest impact on you and you wouldn't be where you are today without that person's influence? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really humbled by that question. As I mentioned in the very beginning, I have benefited from literally countless mentors and colleagues and friends and my host families who invited me to come and stay with them as a as a foreign student my journey really would not be possible without so many people going way out way out of their way uh, to help me grow and help me uh, land in opportunities Um, i i think uh, the one person that I would show specifically comment on is my own dad i lost my father about you know, a couple of years ago, um, and he was, you know, he lived through World War II, he lived through uh, Cultural Revolution, and, you know, he, he later on emigrated to the United States, and so therefore he didn't get to go to school. So he was such a champion for education that he would sacrifice a month of salary in order to buy books for us to have access to to advance learning opportunities. And um, even after he moved here, you know, at 80 years old, he was still learning English and he was still learning poetry and calligraphy. He suffered Alzheimer's towards the uh, last part of his life and he was still able to write calligraphy towards the very end. And one of his favorite 
things that he was doing in Calibri, and I still have it here. Uh, it says, um, which translates to read 10,000 books and travel 10,000 miles, because it, you know, it embodies what it takes to, to be a lifelong learner and to just be so joyful in always learning something new. So I think so much of that is imprinted on how I look at learning and um, growth as a profession and a, as a professional, as a person. Um, so I'm forever grateful for that example. Wow. I love that. And you so embody that in regards to just wanting to learn and grow and, and to share so that others can learn and grow. So um, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? Boy, um, I, I, I feel uh, so honored to be asked that question because I am still uh, trying to learn my own craft uh, I think in this moment in particular, the world is changing so fast in, in increasingly unpredictable ways that um, it's really important for all of us to be humble enough to learn, experiment, and grow in our space because so much science is emerging yet, and to practice courage to innovate, to, to challenge you know, what we're doing here, and to truly be a good partner and collaborator with our uh, senior team um, to, because, you know, we want them to be uh, successful. And then, you know, to practice the pragmatism to make sure that uh, sometimes it's games of inches in order to make incremental progress. As long as we don't stop, uh, we'll continue to drive forward progress. So I want to have that sense of pragmatism and optimism as well that, you know, we can't make things happen from zero to 100%, but we can always make things better. And um, I think I reflect on this moment in time that the, uh, the organizations are trying to find the best way to be successful and trying to find the best way to add value. And it's so important that the work that we do is at the intersection of business strategy and talent. You know, talent work cannot be isolated from the business, and businesses cannot grow uh, without the right talent, the right culture, and the right organization system. So ultimately, I really do see this as an incredible challenge and an incredible privilege for us uh, to lead organizations on talent and learning work, because organizations that are successful satisfy great needs in society and create great personal growth opportunities for individuals. So it's just tremendously important and rewarding work. It's a privilege to work on this. Uh, well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure interacting with you. You bring so much to a conversation and to the work that you're doing. Both, you know, a scientific pragmatic approach is so important coupled with this strategic ability and really looking at the organization as a whole and where do you need to focus. And I think that's something that we all can continue to learn and grow from. So, so appreciate all of your insights, your passion. You are one of the most interesting learning leaders that I get a chance to interact with and so humble. You know, you've got so many credentials and so much experience and so many wonderful things that you've implemented 
impacted, but you still come across as if you're on that upward, you know, uh, hill in regards to learning and you have so much that you've learned and that you're already doing. So I want to just take a minute and thank you so much for sharing with me as an individual. I always grow when I talk to you and just with our audience. You're very kind. I appreciate that. And I love this opportunity to have this conversation. Well, thank you, Roz. I can't wait for our paths to cross again. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. You take care. Thank you. Here's a summary of today's episode. Roz's work distills into three keys for success as a learning leader. Her three S's. One, sound practices, planning initiatives that are evidence-based and will actually work for the unique organization we're serving today. Two, simplicity, ensuring talent experiences are as frictionless as possible, using best practices from consumer technology. Three, sustainable, implementing talent practices well and ensuring they're strategically sponsored and aligned. In order to fill the gap between knowing and doing, we have to acknowledge that human nature gets in the way of change. Providing information isn't enough to drive real, sustained change in most people. When we impart information, we have to look at the things that drive people to internalize the change and make it show up in their day-to-day work. Creating powerful experiences that drive real insights will drive real change. They don't have to be overly complex. Ross shared some great examples of how prompting leaders to ask questions of their teams allowed those leaders to gain new insights about motivating their people and that they then could turn around and put those insights into practice. In lieu of a lecture, the leaders came to the conclusion of the learning objectives on their own. The effort to drive change can't stop at the big aha moment. Building in 360 degrees of support around the learner will help us to sustain the new habit over time. This can be accomplished by using commitment partners or accountability groups that all support each other and continue to learn together. Talent work is never solo work. It's well worth the messy process of hearing from diverse voices who sometimes bring dissenting opinions. As long as you're strategically aligned, there are many ways to get to the end goal. People need to feel safe offering divergent opinions. Like so many of our talent champion guests, Roz is 100% committed to continually learning and growing. I love the quote from her father, read 10,000 books and travel 10,000 miles. This is what it means to be a lifelong learner. Our next guest has been an expert on making decisions in a disruptive environment long before the events of the past few months, and he has some powerful insights to help all of us navigate this year and beyond. So come back to hear our next episode. In the meantime, visit our website, talent-champions.com, to subscribe to our email list and make sure you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider.